StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies. This time, I do have Dennis here with me, who is a little bit not the usual startups that I interview for multiple reasons. But first, I would like to welcome you. Hey, Dennis, how are you doing? Hey, Joe. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I was playing a little bit. You're not the usual startup because you guys are dealing in good sleep. You are, let's say, a competitor of Casper with Emma Sleep. You are building mattresses. We are selling mattresses as one part, but we see ourselves as helping people uh, improving their sleep and with that improving their lives because sleep is super important. Yeah, that's that's what we do. It totally is. And we should all get more sleep. A uh, little disclaimer here. I may be a little bit biased because I'm sleeping on an Emma mattress. <laughs> <laughs> Good decision. Good decision. <laughs> that said, today's interview is brought to you by Hessen Trade and Invest with a brand Invest in Hessen. You can go down here in the show notes and check out the brand. We will talk a little bit more about Hessen and location Frankfurt uh, later on in the interview. But first, let's talk a little bit about what you did, Dennis, because I've been looking at your LinkedIn profile. And as always, there will be a link to your LinkedIn profile down here in the show notes in our blog. And I've seen you studied uh, in NYU here in a local business school, as well as did a PhD in finance. Okay, let, let me get that straight. You went to New York, you studied here, you did a PhD in finance, then you went to McKinsey, and then you started a mattress company. Take us <laughs> along this journey. This has to be fascinating. Uh, it's a it's a natural it's a natural journey isn't it <laughs> well well well, well okay. let, let me guess you didn't get enough sleep at mckinsey so you had to make up for it <laughs> could, could, could have been could have been the one reason and uh, no, actually the story is a little bit different but yeah maybe the the relationship to what i do now to my work back then at the consultancy at mckinsey um maybe was yeah that we had long working hours no but the story is as follows indeed um, i ventured into consulting after university and i was focusing on banks and financial institutions mainly mm -hmm. so something completely different but what happened eventually was that a close friend of mine already back then close friend of mine uh, manu approached me and said dennis yeah i've got a business idea that is selling mattresses online and um improving people's sleep and making the whole process much more convenient And then as, I mean, you're a consultant, could you help me with that? Right. I mean, consultants are good in Excel files and PowerPoint presentations and the like. So uh, I said, yeah, for sure I can help. But eventually it uh, led to the fact that we started this whole uh, journey together in 2013. So it's a little bit Manu's idea, I must say. And why is that? Maybe that's interesting. He had been in the area of medical mattresses before. So he knew medical mattresses um, and sold those to Uh, elderly homes and hospitals. So we uh, had a bit of a natural connection there, or he had. Um, and yeah, he just asked me for help initially. This is a fascinating fact because I actually did not know that there's any other type than a mattress you could sleep on. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, even with medical mattresses, you need mattresses uh, for people in hospitals to sleep on. But the, the tricky bit there is you want to make sure that they not only sleep well, but also if they lie in bed very long, long time, that you do not develop any any wounds, right? So there's there's even some health health implication there. Um, so that's that's his background, yeah. But overall, it's about sleeping well. Great. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing. And of course, I do believe you're not just a Casper copycat, aren't you? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, no, I'm happy to share a little bit of, of insights here. So overall, we see ourselves, as I mentioned, uh, as a company that wants to improve people's sleep so that you really wake up uh, to your to the best of yourself, essentially, uh, because sleep is so important. What does that technically mean? I mean, yes, we're selling mattresses, we're selling beds, we're selling pillows, uh, mainly online, but also through retail partners. So we have actually an omni-channel approach nowadays. Um, th that being said, yes, there are competitors around the world, actually. And the whole story is that we even didn't start with Emma initially. We even started initially by selling other brands through an online shop here in Germany. Uh, but two years into this, that was in 2015, we realized, well, maybe there's more potential to create impact for people um, uh, by developing our own products and our own brand. And for sure, there was inspiration around us. I mean, we weren't the only ones coming up with that idea. Um, but yeah, so eventually in 2015, we started Emma, and that has grown until today. That is pretty fascinating. I may add for everybody who doesn't know that um, people who are laying in bed longer, what you've been referring to, basically they are lying on something more like an air mattress, which is moving a tiny bit so uh, that you that you don't get uh, like a skin skin damage, skin lesions uh, for some time. And that's not the people are lazy, but sometimes they're really sick, um, unconscious or stuff like this um, on breathing automation or stuff as breathing aid or something like this so that is medical induced but we're talking about fortunately today only about the healthy uh, sleep uh, by the way I, I was wondering we talked about how important sleep is how much sleep do you get every night Se <laughs> seven hours <laughs> That's a that's a fair question, I guess, to to a founder. Well, I'm I'm lucky. I'm in the lucky position that I really get to almost eight hours almost every day. Not every day. Um, what helps me, by the way, small tip to 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 the audience here is use your alarm clock not to just wake you up. I mean, that's helpful. But an alarm clock that helped me at least was um, to 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 no, but to set an alarm clock when you want to go to bed. So my alarm clock at 11 tells me that I should go to bed in the next one hour uh, because sometimes I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, it is, I mean, luckily not so often working that long hours anymore, but maybe, I don't know, watching a Netflix series, right? And that can, that can derail sometimes. So I can highly recommend an alarm clock telling you when to go to bed. Yeah, no, but I'm getting my eight hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. To be fair, that wasn't the case in the beginning. I mean, when we started small back then in 2013, it was like a 24 hour, seven a day thing. Uh, but it was also fun, right? I mean, that's the intense phase of a, of a startup. Although to be fair, I mean, I think startup is always intense. It never changes. Uh, when we had Alex von Frankenberg, the CEO of Hightech Grünerfonds, in our interview back in December last year, he talked about how capital efficient you guys were. So basically, you have not raised a lot of money, right? 
No, we, we only raised just about 5 million euros. And I mean, just to set this into perspective, maybe that's helpful for, for the audience. Um, we are, um, we, we, we grew to 405 million euros last year. Um, so with 5 million euro funding, setting this into perspective for a, for an, for a diet to consumer online business, um, that was quite capital efficient. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see. Um, a few more, uh, things bouncing around in my head here because you guys have been raising money venture capital and how important there was that you could point to successful competitors like Casper in the US, for example, in the interview we did with Autonova, with Roman, the founder and CEO, it was very important for him that he could pinpoint here in Germany at VC interviews, look, there's someone in the US who is doing it successfully. Was it also important for you? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because it comes down to why did we only raise 5 million? Well, um, we were very unsuccessful in raising with VCs, to be very clear. <laughs> no, but that's the true story. <laughs> so maybe we should have we should have done this more and pointed to competitors in in, in uh, overseas or wherever. No, but I mean, it really, we, we struggled. So we had uh, a list of almost fifty people, really, and it's people like family and friends that invested into us. We had some additional ones, like uh, the few institutional investors we had was Hightech Gunderfone. You just mentioned it, uh, so they were invested. Uh, but also the uh, Mittelständische Beteiligungsgesellschaft Hessen, so the, the the state of Hessen essentially, um, were invested. Uh, those were the institutional investors, but we struggled to convince venture capital companies. Why was that? Well, by now I know um, we have been very, let's say, realistic and rather understating what we're capable of and what we can achieve. So to be very honest, my very first business plan that I presented to business angels back then, and I got a lot of criticism for that, uh, was 10 million euros in revenues after five years. And for sure, no VC is going to invest into such a tiny business, right? I mean, to be fair, five years forward, I mean, we were already in the, in the, in the triple digits, uh, millions, so to speak, or 150 million well, was six years into this. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it we were, we were often too risk averse in how we communicated. On the upside, we can now say, well, we always kept our promises and actually outperformed our plans continuously. So that's the, that's the nice thing afterwards. But yeah, back then it, it led to the fact that we couldn't convince any VCs. What would you now change in terms of planning, in terms of forecasting, if you would ever have to start a company again? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I mean, retrospectively, I can say I'm super happy that we couldn't convince any VCs because we have been so capital efficient because we couldn't get any money, right? We had to focus on how do we, how do we invest very smartly? How do we, how do we get to a better marketing efficiency? How can we build better products? How can we build a leaner supply chain? Um, how can we reduce costs within the supply chain? We, we had to focus on this from kind of day one. And with this, Two things. First of all, now we are um, um, benefiting of the of, from all of this because I mean, you mentioned even competitors in the US who are struggling because they're still unprofitable. Um, we are profitable. We broke even in 2017 during the year, and then since then, uh, running, running, uh, running profitably. Um, so that 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 helps us. And on the other side, I mean, to be very fair, we didn't dilute as much, right? I mean, one thing I tell often founders when they start a business. I mean, in the very beginning, it's very easy to delude yourself tremendously 
when you get your first capital. So being a bit more restrictive, if you can, not every business model allows this also to be clear, but if you can um, do that. Um, so yeah, because, because of that, we still own a large chunk of this business. That is awesome. But now oh, when you've been talking, I imagined you guys, because back in 2017, you've been already doing some, uh, some great revenues. Uh, you became profitable and then, uh, your, your, your as competitor Casper entered the market. Admittedly, they, they wound down operations in 2020 again. So they have not been successful. Can you? Take us a little bit along the journey, what you felt first and looking back now, yeah. what do you think you did right or they did wrong? I mean, it's sometimes hard to talk about the, the strategy and what they did uh, in, in, in what way um, um, as a competitor. But obviously what I can share definitely when, when we started with Emma, um, it, it started to grow tremendously in 2016. Actually in 2016, then Casper, um, for example, came to Europe um, and there were more competitors emerging like in the UK, in France, etc. So we saw that that there's, there's there's a lot happening in this industry. And for sure we were concerned, like, will we be the one who can who can succeed in this competitive environment? Um, and um, hence, yeah, we we we, we 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 had to to a certain extent also wait and see what the competitors will do and how it will work out. But one learning, quite interestingly, the competition was rather good. And why is that? Um, competition in our segment helped educating the consumer that buying a mattress online is a thing. So we all benefited from this, that, I mean, it's not only us being on TV, but also a lot of our competitors were. It drove the market share, the online market share up, and hence all our sales. So we see actually quite a structural difference between, for example, the UK, that's the market where already every second mattress is sold online vis-a-vis -a, -vis a market like, I don't know, in Southern Europe, for example, Italy, Spain, um, where the market share, the online market share is much, much smaller. Um, because when you're the only one who tries to educate the market that buying a mattress online is a thing and actually it's the better decision because you could uh, have a, or you have a hundred night trial um, and, and really try the thing at home um, and, and really see how you sleep on it. Well, um, if, if there's like, yeah, if, if the market is not as educated, um, yeah, you, 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 you see, um, Uh, yeah, you, you, you have obviously less potential uh, in, in that market. So it, the competition in the end was was quite helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, talking about competition, you also took over one competitor back in 2016. How did you make the <laughs> decision to do that? Um, admittedly, it was bought out of insolvency. So admitted, yeah. uh, I assume it was just cheap but how did you learn about it and how did you make the decision to go for it yeah that was an interesting situation so well, it was not a direct competitor so we bought Dunlo Pillow, uh, that is one of the leading brands in germany for sleep um, and they had as we just said they had to file for bankruptcy um, and we were looking into this and found this interesting because we said like there's a huge opportunity not just because it's one of the leading brands, but also because retail is an untapped potential for us. In most countries, uh, the majority of mattresses is still sold offline. So 
let's look into this and maybe we can build an omni-channel strategy here. Um, that's why we found it interesting. And then for sure, the other element was it was um, an insolvency. So we bought just the brand. So we didn't buy any 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 plant, for example. I mean, they owned some plant in the past um, to produce mattresses. Uh, it was just the brand. But yes, also the brand wasn't wasn't that cheap for us, at least back in, the, in these days. But uh, we were, to a certain extent, let's say, well, lucky or let's say we were more agile. So without getting into actually the details of this process, but we thought already we were out of the process because some other bidder had actually a, a higher price um, that, that he offered. But eventually we got back into this because they got stuck and we were much, much, much more efficient, much more agile. So within just three day, uh, three weeks, sorry, uh, within three weeks after they got back to us, we could close this deal because, yeah, because of the speed of this agility of a startup. So sometimes being a startup and being more pragmatic and sometimes also risk taking uh, can, can help you uh, in those in those cases. Mm -hmm. I see. And uh, you actually been keeping being risk averse. At one point, you agreed to be bought out by a larger company, by a corporate group that actually exists of multiple, multiple businesses and then basically buy revenue generating businesses and uh, basically let them do what they are doing. Um, how did they approach you? How did they find you? And what was the process? Sorry, by the way, if I said risk averse, I've obviously meant uh, as a startup, you're usually more risk taking. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry if I if I said that wrongly. So no, I wouldn't say that it was a risk averse move uh, to to partner with Haniel. That's the that's the family equity company you're you're referring to. Um, so yeah, indeed, we 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 sold um, some shares, or actually our um, investors sold shares. Uh, I mentioned like this list of of family and friends we had back then. Mm -hmm. um, they sold their shares uh, to Haniel. Um, and that happened last year, actually just at the beginning of the, of the Corona crisis. So we met with the CEO of Hania Thomas and, um, learned that we have a very similar view on how to build strong businesses and how important also the organization, the team, the people, um, are for success, uh, for an organization. So we felt, okay, there's a good connection. There's quite a, quite a match in, in, in that mindset. So maybe there's something we can do together and, um, eventually turned out indeed that uh, they've become a partner now for us, um, holding half of the shares, um, which for us is also a win for as a company because, I mean, to be very fair, given the size where we are now at, if we want to sometimes maybe take bolder moves, risk-taking moves and in investing into product development or when I mean, you mentioned the Dono Pillow acquisition, I mean, it's not that, not that we would have anything on our radar here, but... Um, if there would be opportunities, we now have a very strong partner for us uh, that could um, alongside like help us taking those opportunities. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, interesting thing in the German blogosphere, there is a little fight going on about the acquisition price. Some people say this, some people say that. Can you shed some light on this? I, I don't think that we have disclosed this, um, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, but, but I have to ask. So, but, but the, the, the company is just controlling 50% of your company and the other 50% are still owned by the founders. Exactly. So, um, um, yeah, the, the 50% has Hanya and then 25% is Manu and 25% um, uh, is what I still hold. What is the plan with you and the backing of the Hanya group? Conquer the world, take over Europe. 
where you're currently active and what are the next steps? I like the first point you said, conquer the world. Now, I mean, our, our goal is... <laughs> it, our it's goal only is... because I, I'm a big fan of Pinky and the Brain. What are we going to do oh, yeah, okay. conquer the world? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love those in my, in, my, in my childhood as well. Haven't seen them for a while, though. Um, no, but I mean, our goal as, as a company is become the number one global sleep brand. And we're doing quite well. I mean, we, we, are, uh, we sold 1.5 million mattresses last year. And with that actually being already the biggest sleep brand in Europe. Um, and we have already opened our, um, uh, well, also we have some offices outside of Europe, but also opened new markets. So we are now um, active from Mexico to Brazil, to Australia, to South Korea and Japan. Um, so so a, lot of, a lot of countries we're now active in, as the goal is to help people around the world sleep better. Uh, with our products. So that is the plan. That's a long-term plan. And that's also what's so nice about our uh, partner with Haniel. Um, Haniel also has a long-term view on things and um, is not, for example, sometimes if you have a very financially oriented investor, sometimes their horizon is more like, let's look at three years or something. That's not the case. The good thing is really we can take the decisions as they make sense for us as a business, uh, for our consumers and yeah, um, uh, progress long term well sometimes with very aggressive investors I, i've more seen let's talk about the next three months <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair in the startup also you often have rather a three months perspective sometimes if any like if the banks ask me okay what's your 12 month plan i mean i do have a 12 month plan but to be very fair if you're really agile as a startup are you rather look into the next next three months that's that's what it is because Who are you to know what the future will look like in six months, eight months, ten months down the road? That is already tricky sometimes, right? Yes, and and uh, if uh, Corona has proven something, that most long-term forecasts are just for the trash bin. Um, but do you have something like a five-year plan? I mean, we do have a long-term plan where you want to go to because also it helps. I think that's the benefit. It it sets a target, sets the ambition level, and helps. Um, helps with um, getting the organization um, aligned on this joint goal. I think that's important. For example, what we do every Tuesday, we have our all hands uh, where we, everyone comes together nowadays virtually. And one part of this uh, all hands is always, what is our long-term plan? Where do we want to be uh, in a few years from now? And what are the pillars uh, that will get us there so that everyone understands what's the strategy, what's the vision. Um, and that brings a lot of alignment. So yes, that exists. Uh, but also we are agile enough and flexible enough to uh, accept that sometimes things don't work out and you have to change your plan. Uh -huh, uh -huh, I see. When you mentioned um, meeting virtually, that's also on my question list. How did Corona impact you guys? I mean, Corona, uh, the Corona impact can be split into different ways, right? I mean, one element is supply chain, for example. I mean, supply chain luckily is very robust. We have a very diversified supply chain producing often even locally. Um, so that, that has, um, that, that has worked very well. Um, maybe one, one mentioned, I mean, that's something we see across the industries, raw material prices are increasing. I'm not sure whether it's due to Corona or what's exactly happening, but across many industries, I'm hearing that raw material prices are increasing. So that's maybe one of the challenges, but I wouldn't tie it directly to Corona. Um, What is obviously um, more important or was, was, was a direct impact is on um, 
the um, uh, on the sales uh, with lockdowns as an online business. People uh, often online business have seen that this uh, rather boosted sales for sure. When the lockdown was lifted, you sometimes also saw uh, the reverse effect. Um, and then the third element is employees. And there, although we have been a digital company back then already, and we have a lot of digital natives in our company, and we think average age in our company is 28 years old. I mean, we have 700, 730 people, just um, to give you a little bit of a feel for the size, but the average age is still around 28. We had to adopt then working completely virtually. And definitely what I can say, Microsoft Teams is a great tool for us. <laughs> so that has helped us tremendously to to adopt this 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 virtual meetings and virtual brainstormings and what else you do virtually um in in within actually just a few days. But I mean that was last last year. Now it's more like okay, how do we adopt adopt now a hybrid working style? How do hybrid meetings work where some people are in the office, some people are um in a video conference virtually um uh, so those are now elements we need to look at. Did you also see changes of behavior on the client side that they hold back on purchases during the first wave of Corona or did they just say, okay, now everybody goes and buys mattresses online? Uh, interestingly, uh, furniture and, and home had been a huge topic within the corona crisis because people spend more time at home so when you look at statistics like where would people spend more than the year before it was often home furniture etc uh, so there was a bit of a booster um, but also you see as i said it, it can revert back when when lockdowns were lifted um, the the weather got better etc so you also saw uh, like the the reverse effect partially mm -hmm. well, uh when you are physical in the office, I was just wondering, because your sleep company, is there a power nap room? <laughs> Indeed, we do have three power nap stations. <laughs> no, I must say, though, I must say uh, we, we opened or moved to this office in April last year. So just when the lockdowns happened and so we are just getting back more and more people into the office. I have not seen them being used actually. So, and as we need more and more space for like those virtual meetings, we're now actually thinking of converting them to normal rooms. That is a bit boring, unfortunately, but yeah, they, they do exist. So if you want to come over, I mean, we're here in Frankfurt, right? Uh, come over. I can show you uh, those, those little booths. Um, but yeah, let's see whether we'll have them for long. Ah, you talked about the office. Let's talk a little bit about, because this is sponsored by Invest in Hessen. Talk a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages of being located here in Frankfurt for you. But I do believe from a logistics standpoint, meaning shipping out uh, your mattresses, it actually makes sense, right? Well, maybe it would make sense to ship them from Frankfurt in terms of logistics, but to be very honest, we are not shipping from Frankfurt. We have, um, no, we have production partners, as I mentioned before. So the supply chain is, is very international and we do not produce here in Frankfurt. So, um, that, that's, that's, that's not the reason we're here. I mean, the reason why we're here initially was because Manu and me were here, but also to say this very clearly, we're super happy that we're here. Um, I mean, many founders believe they need to move to Berlin because that's where all the talent is, where the whole startup scene is, et cetera. Actually, I think the opposite is true. And when sometimes, and I know that's not the, the most, how to say, um, it's not a widespread opinion. <laughs> I might be alone with that, but I actually tell um, founders to rather not start in Berlin 
but rather, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying it needs to be Frankfurt. I'll tell you, though, why I'm very happy with Frankfurt. Uh, but it could be any other city. Because in, in Berlin, you often have the issue because there's so many opportunities for talent. You see often that people don't stay that long in a company. And if you want to build a strong team, you need also that they stay for a couple of years. And that's very tricky. So while it might be easier to attract talent in Berlin, they often don't stay as long. So we have people, I know, someone just left who started with us seven years ago. So um, really you have this long, and it was a, a developer, by the way, maybe maybe to add this. So usually I think developers are people who are, who are, who are very prone to being hunted by other companies. So you, you, you can build a strong team. For example, here in Frankfurt also, we have tons of great universities in the region. Um, so the talent pool is really strong. For sure, you might not find someone who's done, I don't know, performance marketing for five, 10 years, but that's something you can learn. Um, so we are super happy with this. Um, and I think, yeah, by now also that we've grown a little bit, um, there's, there's, how to say it's, it, it's, um, there are not so many larger startups. So if someone wants to join a larger startup, um, in Frankfurt or in the region, we are one of the few that they can look at. So it is actually an advantage. So when it gets to talent, I think it is super helpful. And, um, hence, yeah, I, I think it is, is rather helpful to, to start it outside of Berlin, maybe even in Frankfurt. And we have great other startups here in Frankfurt, right? I mean, um, so like, like Clark, Lily, do, et cetera. Yeah. Christopher comes to mind. Um, we had him in the interview for the funding round of, um, more than 80 million US dollars and uh, many, many others. Yes. They knew uh, how to do it. Right. I, I should have asked him. <laughs> You still can. <laughs> and now we break even, like we are, we're profitable. So uh, not, not needed at the moment, but yeah, maybe, maybe I should once I, once, 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 once that would change. My last question was, we are going to play make a wish and you okay. could make a wish. What do you want to see changed in the Frankfurt landscape from the political side, meaning this is listened to also in the Ministry of Economics at Hessen Trade Invest. What do you wish for from those guys to change or to improve? I think what will help us is connecting the people. Um, I know that there's also initiatives already happening, so um, that's good to see. But what felt um, helped us a lot was getting to know people, talking to them, learning how things work, learning who's an expert, for example, in performance marketing um, and, and building this this network. I think that that is one of the key elements. And I think that's something politics can support. Well, great closing words. <laughs> Admittedly, there's nothing I have to add. Only thing left for me to say, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was fun, Joe. Thank you very much and uh, have a good day. YouTube, bye bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.